What's up and welcome back to this week's episode of Keep It Quirky. I'm Katie Quinn, your host. I'm a video creator and YouTuber. And in this podcast, I talk with creative entrepreneurs who are making their dreams come true. Passion begets passion. So let's do this. Real quick, before we start today's episode, I want to talk about almond butter because you've probably had almond butter before, but I bet you didn't know it could be better. Jordan Gaddy, the founder of, you guessed it, Better Almond Butter, realized it could actually be a whole lot better by only using truly raw Spanish almonds and a process called sprouting. He created an almond butter that's more nutritious, more natural, and more delicious. In other words, better. Go to www.betteralmondbutter.com for more info. So just a couple weekends ago here in London, I was a part of an event called the Creating for Good Conference. Creating for Good is a London-based collective of creatives who use their passions and skills to raise money by teaching workshops, classes, stuff like that, to make a difference in the lives of women, men, and families affected by war, political discord, and poverty. I taught a workshop, along with my very talented husband, Connor, all about making videos, how to make videos with style and voice, and it was just a fantastic day from top to bottom. During the first few minutes getting to know people attending, I met a young woman named Sylvia. Hi, I'm Sylvia. And Sylvia was just beaming as she told me about a trip she had just taken. I went to Morocco. And who did you go with? I went by myself. I remember how terrified I was to travel alone until, that is, I had my first experience of the head-to-toe jolt of energy of feeling independent, capable, and totally empowered. Afterwards, I just felt really brave. Felt like I could do anything. And that's the feeling I wanted to capture and include in this podcast to share with you all. Feeling like you can do anything is the best feeling, but it doesn't just happen. You have to face your fears in order to get there. Well, one thing I was really scared about, it was the fact that I would be alone by myself and having to explore this, you know, huge cities that I was planning to go to by myself. But then what I realized is I was never alone whilst I was over there because I met a lot of people. She made lots of friends while she was there, at the hostel she stayed at or out and about, friendships that she thinks will last beyond her trip. And to anyone who wants to have this experience but doesn't think they'll have the kind of experience Sylvia had, here's what Sylvia has to say. Just do it, really. I mean, I was in the same position as them. Once you do it, I... It's something that you would definitely keep doing and you don't have to rely on people as much. Man, what's so cool about this is that the world is your oyster, right? Exactly. Don't let anything hold you back. Travel can be hugely inspirational. But what about when travel actually inspires you to create something about your travels even? Well, this brings me to the topic at hand in today's pod. When it comes to guidebooks, they tend to have a very similar aesthetic. And then on the other hand, when it comes to arty, thick paper stock indie journals, that's an entirely different aesthetic. Well, let me introduce you to Weekend Journals, design-inspired guidebooks that feature a curated selection of venues across a given region. And you'll hear how a trip inspired its inception, but first, I want to give you a better sense of what these guidebooks are like. There's a guidebook for Provence, France, and another one for Cornwall in England. 
They've got nice, thick cardstock for the pages, not flimsy sheets like in a magazine. Every page has big, beautiful, romantic-type pictures of the region, and also of the specific curated restaurants, shops, and hotels. And each spot has succinct writing that tells you what the beautiful photo is that you're looking at, and also tells you the story of that place. Meet Millie. Hey, Millie, how's it going? Hey, it's good. (laughs) She's co-creator of Weekend Journals, and has got an interesting roundabout path, like so many of us, of how she began writing these curated travel guidebooks. So let's hear all about it from the beginning and let's find out how she made this publication a reality. I started blogging about 10 years ago. So quite early on in the blogging world and writing online, kind of like a diary. Didn't really know where it would take me, but just wanted to put down my thoughts and yeah, and just kind of went with it. Loved writing, loved kind of sharing my passion for theatre, food, travel, everything really. Um, But always wanted to create something. As a child, I was a real maker. Both my parents are artists, so... I feel like making things is what I always used to love to do. And suddenly everything I was doing was online. Um, So I kind of thought, how can I take this back to print? How can I produce something, you know, even if it's just for my own pleasure, I need to try and make this work. So why was that important to you to bring it back to print? What significance does that have for you? I guess it's just... I think things move so fast online and things are moving so fast and changing all the time. And, you know, we're getting so lazy as kind of digital consumers. We just flick through things. We don't take it in. And I was finding, well, actually, plainly put, I'm the type of person that goes into a shop and spends lots of money on beautiful books, partly because I love just having them sitting around, making my home look pretty. But also, I just love flicking through at my own pace, my own time, and kind of using it at my ease. So yeah, I guess I sort of felt like I should be producing one of these things that I am so passionate about buying. We are sitting in Millie's living room right now. And it is so, it's so cool. The colors and the things you have around. So describe to them this ice cream um, image that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> Very random. So uh, I discovered this little kind of flea market shop in Peckham where I live uh, a few months ago with my best friend. And uh, we were rummaging through and rolled up in the corner was this dusty old kind of pop arty 1980s ice cream print. So I was like, I can see this working in my flat. So yeah, I just bought it for about 20 quid and just had it framed. So it's sitting ready to go up. Yeah, it's awesome. And so that's just like a quick snapshot of um, the way that Millie has decorated. And so this is to say that everything you're describing about why you enjoy actual items that you can feel and that you can hang and have in where you live, it makes perfect sense. So continue with your weekend journal. So so I guess... Also, I should say pretty early on that it's really not a solo venture, that basically the book has been made possible by my long-suffering husband, who is basically the organisation behind the entire project. Um, And really, basically, our lives together is kind of me having ridiculous dreams and him occasionally saying, okay, I might be able to make that possible. (laughs) And so with this book, he kind of learned how to use InDesign and felt like it was a 
a kind of goal that he was able to achieve. So we went into it together and and really what kickstarted it was after our five and a half month honeymoon around the world and just kind of sharing all that travel passion together. We kind of thought, yeah, let's do this together. And then the third wheel is my very talented brother who takes all of the photographs. Every single photo, you're like, I want to be there. I want to be in that photo. He's really talented. What's What does he do most of the time? He is 25 and he's doing his final year at the Royal College of Art, doing a postgrad in photography and art, which is amazing. Um, so poor boy like as he's finishing his final project we're like edit these photos edit these photos um so he's got a lot of us on his back um but yeah he uses a lot of film cameras he's he's kind of got the perfect combination of brains and creative talent so he can like i don't know develop his own photos and use all these old beautiful film cameras that you know i would probably use as decoration in my flat but he actually manages to really use to produce beautiful and unique photography so you and your husband simon came up with this idea while you were traveling or it was after you were done traveling that the idea was kind of born so i think while we were traveling we kind of thought we've got to use this amazing extended travel experience to produce something at the end of it i think we came back to london so energized by everything we'd seen around the world that we felt like we want to do something but we didn't know what it was at that stage so we both kind of dabbled in different things and then kind of came together after a few months and thought hang on you've you know he said to me you've always wanted to do a book and I said to him okay well you're getting quite good at using InDesign and designing things let's try and make this work and then at what point did you bring your brother in as photographer it was kind of strange because I now also take photos for a living so you are an amazing photographer well I'm not sure but (laughs) I'm kind of of the Instagram photography niche which is great and has its place but I think for a book that was primarily going to be visual I really felt like it needed something that was beyond digital cameras and beyond my knowledge of uh, of cameras so it was actually a really easy decision that very quickly I suddenly thought Uh, it's obvious you know Gabriel's there and he's kind of starting his career as an artist and as a photographer so it's a great project for him to start off doing and actually since has had his photos from Cornwall and Provence in Condé Nast Traveller and used all over so it's been great for him. What were the first steps taken to make this idea that you and Simon had which by the way I think it's so interesting that you guys really pretty consciously and uh, almost strategically came up with this idea it's like okay you have these skills you have this a desire to create something like this and that you thought about so it wasn't just like oh I want to create a yeah I mean it sounds simple it was a lot of arming and ahhing but we're both quite doers if that makes sense is that a thing um we neither of us fuss about like if we come up with an idea we kind of make it happen and so I guess the first step was kind of running through a few ideas for the name of the company with our families and kind of using them as a bit of a ideas bank to see what worked and what sounded good and then the kind of logistics side like going to the bank and seeing if we could get a loan because very early on we were sure that we wanted to self-publish it and we wanted to have complete creative control so there was obviously the issue of money and you know needing that which we'd just spent all of our money going around the world and getting married so um <laughs> yeah so we we had to go to the bank we had to work out you know all the random things like buying a barcode and who distributes the book and where do you get it printed and how do you decide what kind of print and it was a really steep 
learning curve and because we decided to do it so quickly it was you know there are a few moments where we were like wow what, what are we doing like <laughs> is this ridiculous like we have no knowledge in printing books but actually it, it just goes to show that actually if you try and do something a lot of the time it really does you know work out and you can find a path and you can make something work that is incredible it's that's really inspiring to me to hear just because it's like where there's a will there's a way right yeah and I think at this point you know when you we just our last stop traveling have been India and you know you see people in such different circumstances and you really come back with the mindset that okay we're in our late 20s it's now or never why not you know if it if it all goes wrong then we've got a lot of money to pay back but we can do that you know we'll find a way to do that we'll do car boot sales and make the money somehow or whatever so we we really yeah we were full of optimism and obviously there were moments of doubt we were like we were crazy (laughs) yeah we just kind of thought why not let's give it a go and if if it all goes wrong then at least we've got a book that we have made together so and what would you do in those days of doubt or if like so you were optimistic the vast majority of the time obviously but the days where the pessimism crept in what would you do to kind of like shake yourself out of that or do you have a go-to to get out of a creative rut switch off your laptop <laughs> go for a walk like get some fresh air I think obviously it's difficult working with family and Simon and I live together and I see my brother a lot so there were moments where we really disagreed as well and that was really hard but we very quickly kind of found our roles as okay Millie's in charge of these decisions or Simon's in charge of these decisions and you kind of decide quickly what is it worth challenging the other people on and at the end of end of the day you want to just agree on everything so I think when things were going wrong and we thought my god what are we doing we'd kind of turn off from it for a bit and just say we've set our own deadlines you know actually if we go to print a week later there's no problem really at the end of the day it's annoying but it's okay you know there's no one we'll be letting down apart from ourselves so you've got to go easy on yourself sometimes because we all had full-time jobs as well you know fast forwarding you now have Two issues of Weekend Journals out. Cornwall, which was the first. Provence was the second. What are the what are the next steps for Weekend Journals? As I said, I have a lot of mad ideas. So we'll see. Um, initially, I very much wanted to only do weekend destinations. So kind of moving away from the city guide thing. There are a lot of companies that do city guides. It's, you know, cities go out of date very quickly. So it's something that's, that's more of a challenge to do. However, um, having said that, I I would really love to do a London one at some point. You know, my blog has been going nearly 10 years and I feel like I've got something different to say on London. So that's possibly in the pipeline. And actually in the immediate future, we're about to bring out in the next few months our second edition of Cornwall because it sold out and people still wanted it. So we were like, why not? (laughs) Let's go again. How much do you feel like having the blog and your overall social media presence, how important was that in making weekend journals a reality? It was quite crucial for the first book because uh, we we went, Cornwall obviously was the first destination we covered and we went to Cornwall and we sort of talked to people and said, we're producing this book, but we didn't really know how it was going to turn out. They definitely didn't know how it was going to turn out. So we had to give them a bit of weight behind what we were saying. And so my 
kind of the length that I've been writing for, at least they could see, okay, this girl has been writing a blog and has been kind of committed to it for the last eight years or whatever. So they knew I was not kind of messing them about and wasting their time. So that really helped. And then I guess just having an experience of social media, which is so crucial in getting the word out about anything nowadays was really helpful when the book came out and I could kind of tap into that and try and bring my followers into the weekend journals world as well as my Millie KR world. So let's dive into the Millie KR world. To me, you are such a personification of this multi-hyphenated career woman. You do a lot and they are related in some ways, but they're also quite different. Can you give everyone like a snapshot of what you do? Aside from this impressive and epic project of weekend journals, you have a lot else on your plate. Give us some examples. Well, I guess I, I kind of, my background's in music. I trained as a singer, I did a music degree and I sung a lot as a child. And that was kind of my starting point. Um, and from there, everything that I've done in the last 10 years, I've tried tried to bring it back to doing something creative that I love. So at times when I haven't been able to make money from doing something creative, I've had a side job so that I could do the creative thing. And that's always been so, so important to me. You know, I've grown up in a family where no one has nine to five jobs. So that was never an option long term. And now I'm in the lucky position where I can make a living from doing creative things every day, which is incredible, but it's still massively varied. From Instagram, I've kind of grown as a photographer, which is great. Um, I do a lot of food photography for restaurants and styling for brands, some travel writing. What else do I do? Um, Freelance social media, helping other companies to really kickstart their presence online. Yeah, it's a real mix. Every day is different. And where does Weekend Journals fall into that? Would you kind of classify it as your passion project or when everything you're doing has a bit of passion in it? Where does Weekend Journals fall? Yeah, I I guess you could call it a passion project it's a project that I I so wanted to do with people that I love because so much of what I do day to day is quite lonely and isolating you know a lot of social media even though it looks like everyone's having a great time all the time is actually just one person sitting by themselves on their bed editing a photo so um I love doing something with other people and obviously my husband and my brother both very talented it's so nice to do something with them and bring their talents into something that I'm so passionate about um completely forgotten the question I've gone off on a tangent <laughs> what we say I was asking where weekend journals like falls oh, yeah. into the scheme of everything you do so I guess it's kind of in a mathematical term one day a week of of my time and I'd probably say the same for the two boys too it's kind of yeah, one fifth of our week that we spend on it. At the moment, it doesn't bring in profit, but it's not losing money either. So it is a profitable business, but everything goes back into the next book. And hopefully at some point, the way I see it growing, if we all continue to have time for it, is maybe we will start making books for other brands or someone will come to us and say, you know, we love your style of creating a book. Can you create us a guide for our hotel guests or for the people that come to our restaurant for other places to go in the area or, you know, something like that. So it branches out. So we're using our expertise, but for other people. The places that you choose um, to feature, it's really curated. Tell me about how you develop a relationship with these places and how, I mean, do you go go back and visit again and again to like vet whether or not they'll be in the journal. How do you choose the 
places that make the final copy? Well, for the first two books, so Cornwall and Provence are both really special places to all three of us, actually. Cornwall is where Simon's maternal grandmother's from, and Provence is where my maternal grandmother's from. And Cornwall is also somewhere my brother Gabriel and I went a lot as kids with our parents to stay in little crumbling old B&Bs and go and look at all the artwork in Cornwall. We all knew the areas quite well when we started, and I think that was why we chose them, because we all felt very strong emotional connections to them. And then in terms of picking where went in the book, we had to be really strict, especially for Provence, which is a very big area, (laughs) which I worked out as we started traveling around. Obviously, as a child, when you go somewhere where your family's from, you usually explore a radius of about 10 kilometers and it's a lot bigger than that so we had to very quickly start researching talking to a lot of people friends and family and people from the area and then we just yeah started visiting we had for Cornwall we probably had a short list of about 300 places which we must have done in about four different trips and it was exhausting (laughs) and then how many made the final 40 and then a, a kind of short list at the back of 10 additional recommendations. So yeah, it's hard. And you know, there's definitely more than 40 amazing places to go in Cornwall. So we picked places that really ticked off certain criteria. So we wanted places that had a story, you know, no one has paid to be in the books. So it's very much places we love, places we're passionate about, you know, not dependent on whether they have enough money to be in a guidebook, you know, which so many guidebooks are based on advertising and you know cost to be in it it was totally different for us we completely had to feel a real you know atmosphere in the place we had to talk to the owners we had to hear their story and if we were moved by it and if we loved that venue then it got in but also it was the aesthetics of the place so very early on we decided we wanted the books to be quite designy and so all the venues that went in had to look like they cared about what they looked like you know because there are some pubs that serve amazing food but are just very dingy and we just we didn't want to put them in everything that you're saying just comes through so well as you've mentioned before it's a really visual heavy experience going through it these these photos are incredible but like you're writing to me anyway and reading it i mean i read it like a novel your writing and the stories make just as much of an impact as the photos so i think that your specificity in determining the criteria, I think it really comes through successfully. Well done. I tried to be succinct and tried to, you know, I wanted the photos to shine, but also I wanted to give that key information and give a little bit of a taste of what the place is like without giving too much away because, you know, at the end of the day, I hope people that buy the books go and explore these places for themselves. One of the things that in this conversation so far is like sticking in my head so much is your attitude and action of like, just do it, going through with an idea you have. And I think that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are creators or aspiring creators, and they listen for inspiration. What would you tell people who want to do something, but they don't have as much of the okay, I'm just going to do it attitude as you do, which is incredible. I mean, that is an incredible innate gift that you have. What would you tell people? And I'm sure you have people asking you all the time for advice on what you do. Do you have a response? I think think it through a lot, you know, talk it through with friends and family. Really, you've got to have a lot of want to do something to make it work. Even if the project doesn't work, to work in terms of following it through to the end. And then 
you know, draw up a very brief way of making it work. And if you need a parent or a friend to help draw that up, find them and just sit them down for an hour, buy them a coffee and just say, okay, how can we make this work realistically? Because that's something that I'm definitely not gifted with, the the realism of projects. Um, (laughs) But luckily I have enough people around me who sort of are. And then do whatever you can to make that work because the payoff at the end is so huge, you know, it's worth it. So if you have to get an extra job working in a coffee shop for a few hours on a Saturday morning to save enough money to do it, then do that or go to the bank and really explain it clearly to them and say, this is why you want a loan for it. And, you know, they will listen and hopefully see where you're coming from. So I I really think it's possible. And I also think it's possible to do things without that much money. We stayed with family when we were in Cornwall. Most of the places we went to, we bought maybe one dish or they gave us one dish to photograph in the the restaurants or, you know, didn't cost that much money. And, And I think people often are scared by big scary projects because they think wow you know printing a book that must cost a fortune but actually at the end of the day our only real cost was printing it and finding a printer and even then it doesn't need to be expensive so think carefully and find people around you who can help that's so great i hope that anyone listening who would be overwhelmed by a big project i think you just broke it down in a really accessible way it's like get your to-do list have enough of a drive and and there's really there's really not much that can't be done kind yeah, of and, and also you know we've had a few amazingly motivated young students like do the odd day or two work experience with us which I still laugh at inside because I'm like anyone doing work experience with me from my tiny little flat I mean it, <laughs> it seems ridiculous but you know it's lovely that these young students think that we have something to teach them and so I've had a few people with me who have kind of run through my day to day and seen how we can journals works and now a few of them have started creating their own journals you know maybe it's only a print run of 10 or 50 or 100 but they're creating something and you know that's coming out of a need and a want to do it so it's it's amazing and to know that you probably had a part in that happening because they learned from you i'm not sure but maybe a little push in the right direction (laughs) (laughs) all right so um you briefly mentioned that you, you have a musical theater background How does that play a role in your day-to-day these days? Sadly, not enough of a role. In the shower? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in the shower. Um, Well, I don't know. I'd I'd really love it to be more of a day-to-day role or more of a week-to-week, month-to-month role, just a bigger role in my life. It was completely what I loved doing up until, you know, well, even now, but really it was the biggest thing in my life until I was about 21. So the fact that now it isn't part of my weekly agenda is a strange thing, but I do sing with a little band. There's three of us, um, two guys who are both amazing guitarists and me singing. What's the name? Hell in a Hat Box. Hey, that's a great name. Do you guys play around London? A little bit. We've kind of paused for a few months just because we've all got so much stuff going on individually. But it's great fun when we do get together and we have a ball and we kind of sing through old jazz standards and blues classics and songs like that. How can I find... Oh Wait, what's... I'm not sure I want to share this information. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's fine. There's a few very, very amateur videos on YouTube which you can probably find if you type in hell in a hat box. Oh, I will find them. And I did. Here's a little taste of Millie singing. Oh, I've got a man that's always late. Anytime we have a date, but I love him. 
York Times last week or maybe earlier this week came out with an article about all of these indie food journals being like the new big thing. I guess a couple questions for you. Are you ever worried that this niche kind of that you have is going to quickly fill? Because right now there aren't that many weekend getaway type places. As you said, they're usually city focused. So are you worried that there's going to be a big trend? Definitely. I mean, we've noticed a massive amount of publications come out since we bought out ours that are really similar. And for a moment, you sort of think, oh, they're copying us or they're doing something so similar, you know, and you kind of bummed out about it. But then you think again, you think actually this is massive flattery. And the fact that more people are doing a similar thing shows that there is room in the market for it. And there are people that want to buy these books. And, you know, now our books are sold internationally. You kind of get that feedback from around the world, not just in Britain, that actually there is a space for them and I think hopefully as it's kind of strange but as the digital side continues to thrive I think the backlash of that is that print will continue to thrive in the kind of slow reading trend because people need that moment to reflect and to enjoy literature that's not so instant and on a screen. How do you in your life keep it quirky? How do you define quirky? Um, I guess I get out and about and I explore. Um, I go to Columbia Road on a Sunday morning. I go to my favorite stationery shop. I take photos. I just switch off all the to-do list things and have fun with friends and family. And yeah, that's kind of it. Where can people find weekend journals and where can they find you? Weekend journals, um, just weekendjournals.co.uk on the internet where you can buy the book, but it's also available on Amazon or in loads of bookstores like Daunt Books, Selfridges, Fortnum Masons, etc. etc. And shipped internationally? Shipped internationally, super easy on the website. And in terms of me, I'm on Instagram at Millie K-R, M-I-L-L-Y, not I-E, <laughs> K-R and my blog is called Thoroughly Modern Millie. Awesome. Everyone, check out Weekend Journals. Check out Millie. And Millie, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Honestly, if you get your hands on a Weekend Journal, it will inspire you to visit somewhere new. As a little case study, let me give you a quick listen to the conversation I had with a friend who I showed Weekend Journals to for the first time. So come on with me to the pub, The Hollybush in Hampstead, London, where I met up with my New York buddy, Claire of The Cheesemonger's Daughter. Hi, Claire. Hey, what's up? Claire, what was your first uh, response to seeing this Provence Weekend Journals? I'm such a tangible person, and to have such a beautiful book that I can flick through and touch and feel the cardstock, because I'm a crazy paper nerd. I felt like I was there. There was no place I wanted to be more than there. And Claire is also a creative entrepreneur in the food and media space. Um, she's doing really cool things. By the way, follow her on Instagram at a cheesemonger's daughter. And so I told Claire that this was produced by fellow creative entrepreneurs about our age. And she felt a bit of an electric shock experience by hearing this news. Claire, what was your response to that? Oh my God, it was total inspiration and a kick in the butt to be like, oh my God. You know, I, th- I feel like any of us in the entrepreneurs 
ship world can get down. You know, I, I, I spend some of my days, most of my days, alone in my kitchen. So <laughs> it, it can be daunting, and you kind of feel like, what am I doing? And, and everything that you do over and over again, is it being seen? And then to see things come to fruition when you work towards a goal that you are hoping will come to fruition, and then there's this beautiful, tangible book, it, it just it, it gives you it gives you that right kick in the butt to be like, oh, oh, I can totally do this. I got this. Yeah, you've got this. I've got this. We've all got this. If you like this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the word and helps other people find it. I read every review and thank you to those of you who've already left them. You're my favorite person of the day. At the beginning of the episode, you heard about Better Almond Butter, a company that makes sprouted, unpasteurized almond butter. The founder, Jordan Gaddy, is a proud idealist and says he is committed to being a progressive food company that prioritizes sustainability, quality, and transparency over everything else. To try Better Almond Butter today, head on over to betteralmondbutter.com and use the promo code KEEPITQUIRKY. That'll get you 10% off. And all of their shipping materials are 100% biodegradable. Thanks, as always, to my madly talented brother, Brian Quinn, for the theme song. If you have any suggestions of who I should interview, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at QKD, the letter Q, K-A-T-I-E. I'll see you next week. And until then, keep it quirky. 